All right, hello, and welcome to another episode of Double Coverage, the third of this season. My name is Adi Shrikanth, and with me, as usual, is Sam Wagner. Sam, how are you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? Uh, I can't complain. Happy Monday to you. Um, we're recording this at 6 p.m., so uh, this is prior to the Jets and Patriots play on Monday night. Sam Darnold against uh, Tom Brady should be interesting just because Darnold I guess had a good game but we won't preview that because it's just not that important I don't I don't know though I mean I think that might be a trap game we were, we were talking about this yesterday that's with Sam Darnold coming back it might just you know the Patriots always lay an egg sometime it might be this one if a pick'em league is to really get screwed it, I mean this is a candidate right it's exactly. a candidate I picked them in a uh, streak yeah well good luck <laughs> um we'll start with our quick hits of the day uh, my first quick hit Involves uh, NBA player Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, always an interesting guy. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie is now opening himself up as a stock. So basically, the way this works is if you have 150k and you're an accredited investor, you can basically just invest in Spencer Dinwiddie. And Spencer Dinwiddie, I think the Payment is in like three years is when your stock would reach maturity. But in three years, Spencer Dinwiddie will pay that money back. And the idea for Dinwiddie is that like he's he's a wealthy guy. Like he's making, I think, like nine million or something in the league. But he wants this money up front so that he can invest it instead of having to wait for the entire length of his contract. So what he's going to do is he's going to give an opportunity for investors to invest in him. And then he's going to, in turn, invest what they are investing. So it does beg the question, why don't the investors just invest normally? Um, but, I mean, I think this is something that Spencer Dinwiddie is going to try. Um, it does kind of lend itself to kind of engaging with the athlete and whatnot. But I don't know. We'll, we'll see. So this is interesting. He's basically He basically wants to turn himself into a fund manager. Yeah, pretty well, pretty much. I mean, the thing is, it's a, I believe it's some sort of like guaranteed rate of return um, that he's doing. So, and it's also right, slightly dependent on his actual contract. I think he is in, like, his contract expires in a couple years or something. Um, right now, he has a three year, $34 million deal with Brooklyn. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm honestly kind of skeptical. I don't really understand why you wouldn't just invest 150 thousand in an index fund. Um, but you know, more power to Spencer Dinwiddie. I mean, he he's allowed to do it. So yeah, right. why not, man? He's allowed to do it, but I don't see why anybody would hit him up for it. Like, I don't. If you had 150k laying around and you wanted to invest it, what would lead you to invest it in him versus just investing in something with? like you said, like an index fund or whatever. Because is he, is he going to give you back a rate of return? What's the rate of return that he said he was going to give you back? He says that it, the token, which is called, I believe, a Dinwiddie token, <laughs> a Dinwiddie token will pay an annual interest rate of uh, in the range of 2.5%, which is not that good. That's terrible. No, and, and this is why like this whole thing is just kind of weird to me. <laughs> um, also, the league has not... like. I said that he's allowed to do it. We're not actually sure. Like, the league hasn't really seen this before, so they're just kind of, like, 
Uh, maybe I'm not really sure. They they have there have been some reports that there are potential issues. So far, there haven't been any kind of iron fist rulings from the league. But yeah, I I mean, like I said, I'm skeptical. But hey, this is what he's doing. I guess more power to him. Yeah, Godspeed, Spencer <laughs> Dinwiddie. Godspeed. All right. So my quick, my only quick hit this week will be uh, uh some classic tennis news because I know I have to. At least one of my quick hits every week has to be tennis. So uh, uh, this week there was some news. Uh, Roger Federer had said that he's going to take some time away from the game. Not exactly sure when that's going to start, but he said he'll be definitely be back for next year's French Open which is quite a long time, to be honest. So that's good. In my opinion, it's good for him to take some time off, given that he's like 38 or 39 years old at this point. Um, and he also said that he will definitely be playing in the Olympics next summer. So that's interesting in, in and of itself because he that's the one tournament he hasn't won, essentially. that's I think, <laughs> I think he's won every other Masters tournament except for the Olympics. So it's interesting to see if he actually gets that done. I mean, he's won a silver medal in singles, um, but he, you know, he's going after that gold. So that'll be interesting to see. Best of luck, Roger Federer. Yeah. Um, my, uh, I have two quick hits left. Um, one is really quick. Uh, Zion Williamson will undergo a knee surgery. He actually just had it today. I believe he will be out six to eight weeks to repair a torn meniscus in his right knee. Um, per the New Orleans Pelicans organization. Um, I think this is just indicative of him being one of the heaviest, I believe the second heaviest player in the NBA behind Boban um, and trying to also be an incredibly physical guy. It's going to be difficult physically. Um, This is now his second major knee injury since being a pro, and he also had a knee injury at Duke. So, you know, jury's still out, but... Uh, it's it's definitely not a great sign for Zion. Yeah, if you're the New Orleans Pelicans, I'd be sweating pretty hard at this point with these injuries for them because he spent a lot of assets to get that pick and get him. So I don't know. It's it's just worrying if you're the Pelicans. Yeah, and uh, my second, or I guess my third quick hit is uh, a just kind of baller move all around. <laughs> um, Skyler Diggins, who is a Dallas Wings uh, point guard. Uh, recently uh, told reporters that she had played the entire 2018 season pregnant, which is pretty insane. (laughs) Um, She actually had pretty good numbers. Um, She averaged 17.9 points and six assists, which is like actually better than most of the league. Um, So, hey, that's, that's quite amazing. And this is kind of like Spencer Dinwiddie, like more power to you, uh, Skylar Diggins. Like that is that is really badass, and you know much respect uh, to the to the twenty nine year old point guard. I will say that's uh, there. We had a similar story with uh, to that as when Serena was playing in the U S. Pregnant. That one also dominant. Also, also dominant. dominant. Yeah. This to me is way more impressive because this is how long is an M- a WNBA season? Yeah, I mean it's Four or been five months, several so months. Like, yeah, right. I mean that's crazy. So yeah, more power to her. Yeah. Um, uh, This story has a little bit more that we won't get into. Uh, Part of the story is that the NBA did not support her this year when she tried to take uh, two months off in the spring uh, for uh, depression and other mental health issues. Um, Again, we're not going to get into that uh, for the sake of time, but, you know, 
that is a definitely part of the story, and I think moving forward, it's going to be something that uh, all sports leagues, uh, the WNBA included, are going to have to pay attention to. Definitely. Um, and on the topic of the WNBA, a quick congrats to the Washington Mystics for winning a, uh, a, a championship and bringing a title to D.C. for now the second consecutive year. Um, they won 89-78 in Game 5 over the Connecticut Sun. Uh, Elena Deladon, the league MVP, had 21 points. Emma Mieseman had 22 points. She's the finals MVP. Um, and, you know, it's overall a really good performance. Deladon obviously hurt. Um, but Emma Mieseman, uh, Tolliver, and a lot of the other players on the Mystics powered them through. And I think a lot of people don't realize that this is a really good Mystics team, even beyond Deladon. I mean, probably the most dominant offense since the 1990s Houston Comets, <laughs> which which is something that I've been... I've, uh, Sam's laughing because I've been saying this a lot for the last, like, three weeks, but it is true. Um, a quite dominant offense, and um, it's, it's really cool to see them, you know, bring a title home. And also really cool to see someone other than Deladon uh, get recognition. Not that she doesn't deserve it, Deladon, but it's really cool to kind of see that welts get spread around. Definitely. Um, and, you know, we're also just going to add, just throw in some stats because lack of pay in the WNBA is, uh, has been kind of a hot issue, especially as the season wrapped up. Um, a couple of stats that kind of just uh, jump off the page. The NBA minimum salary is eight times roughly of the WNBA maximum salary. Um, Miles Plumley, who is roughly the 119th, highest paid player in the NBA. It kind of fluctuates yeah. um, just based on incentives and stuff. But Miles Plumley makes more than the entire WNBA combined, which is incredible. And I think the number that people are really pointing to is that NBA players receive 50% of league revenue while WNBA players receive 20% of league revenue. Obviously, a big part of that is that the WNBA is not – overall making profit so there's less money to go around but as, as a proportion you kind of see the inequity there and I think this is going to be an issue that is going to be brought up time and time again and we will see it in the off season. we'll see it next year when the WNBA season starts again in the summer and we'll we'll I mean this is going to be something that's going to be in the news I think for a while yeah this is a tough one and you're right we're probably going to see a lot of it in the coming years but I mean, I don't know. I don't have a solution because there's simply just not enough money coming in. Yeah, I mean, that that's the challenge, right? The at the championship game five had 4,200 people in the stadium, and that's just not going to generate that much ticket revenue. Right. And it's, it's, it's challenging because I think pay equity is something that everybody wants to see. But at a certain point, you have to... So you have to develop a plan and you have to say, okay, well, we want pay equity. Here are the sources that that money is going to come from. I think one, one step is to kind of bring equity in the proportion of revenue that's kind of spread around. But I think, you know, that still leaves the issue that the pot itself is smaller in the WNBA compared to the NBA. And it's just something that is going to have to be worked on in a marketing perspective and just drumming up more interest for the game. Um, it's, it's not an easy fix. Uh, I think a lot of people are working on this. Um, I think there's a lot of great activism coming from the WNBA players themselves. 
but yeah, I think it's a it's a challenging thing. Um, but but like I said, I think there are a lot of quick things that can be done that hopefully get done in the near future. It'd be I'd be curious to see what the similar numbers are for overseas leagues because if this is a kind of a, a problem that's a, uh, we're encountering it in other countries as well, um, then there's only so much you can do, I guess, at this point. But I guess I'm thinking if there if the if there are other leagues in other countries that are have uh, lessened problems, uh, more pay equity and maybe more more revenue per you know whatever team coming in, um, then you could look at those those countries and kind of figure out reverse engineer what they're doing. Also, the problem is though that you probably have a, a positive feedback loop coming in because if if other countries have better women's basketball leagues and those leagues are going to get the better players. And therefore, they're going to get more in revenue. So yeah, it's it's just yeah, this is a really sticky situation, and, and it, I'd be a, curious to see how it, it shakes out. And there's another feedback loop where you know the less money that goes into a game, the less you know hype it's going to get, right. which then in turn is going to generate less revenue, which is then going to put less money into the game. It just kind of spirals. So yeah, I mean, there are a lot of things that need to get fixed, and you know, hopefully. We see a little bit of improvement year to year, and and gradually um, we kind of rectify this situation. But we'll move on um, to our next topic, uh, which is the NFL Week 7. That is almost complete. As we mentioned, the Jets and Patriots still have to wrap this sucker up. But um, I think we can still look at a lot of things right now. Um, We'll start by kind of just differentiating uh, contenders and pretenders and the kind of the group of teams I have right now here Sam are kind of like teams that aren't necessarily out of it but they're not really in the driver's seat um, with a couple of exceptions here um, the teams that I've listed are Buffalo Baltimore Indianapolis Houston Dallas Minnesota Carolina and the LA Rams so are there any teams that particularly strike you as either contenders or pretenders I think, yeah, this is tough. I'd say Baltimore. I mean, uh, Buffalo and Baltimore. You're probably looking at as contenders. I'm curious about Dallas because they just beat Philly, and even though you may not say they're contenders, that'll go a long way in terms of standings, and it's gonna give them a big boost because, you know, it's really a two horse race in that division, and one win against the other team you're racing against is, goes a long way. So, Carolina's looking good. They've won a few games in a row. Did they win this week? Um, you know, I, I, I'm guilty. I should really be following this a lot closer. <laughs> um, friend of the show, Connor Hagan would yeah. be, would be quite upset. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, I, I believe they just beat the Buccaneers. Oh no, they're on bye. They're on uh, bye. Okay. Okay. There That's we go. We don't, all right. Okay, all right yeah. They're on bye. So yeah, I mean, they've won a couple games in a row and they're starting to look really good. So, and of course they have an MVP candidate in McCaffrey. So I would maybe lean towards contenders with them too, but they've uh, won four in a row. By four the way. in a row. Yeah. So, I mean, they're hot. Minnesota, yeah, don't really know about them yet. Kirk Cousins is playing a lot better, so that definitely helps. Them. They're five and two, um, and they've won three straight. They have a almost seventy point point uh, plus seventy point differential. There you go. Um, and I think Kirk Cousins is doing a better job finding uh, Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen. And it's like th- th- with those two guys, you have two guys. One of them is going to be open, <laughs> probably. Every single play. So yeah. it really comes down to protection. Uh, Kirk Cousins going through his progressions. And 
establishing some sort of a running game. But they're, I think they're, they're contenders. I mean, they're only one game behind the Packers, who are 6-1, and one, but they're playing really good football. I think right now they may have a wild card spot. It would depend. It's a little bit murky because, uh, like we mentioned, the 4-2 Panthers just had a bye. But they would have a wild card spot right now. And I think that this is a quality team moving forward in the playoffs. The, the problem I have with Minnesota is that I feel like as Kirk Cousins goes, so they go. And I would not put a whole lot of faith in Kirk Cousins. As so, so you're saying you do not like that. I'm saying I do not like that. Yeah, I, well, would, I, would not, I would not put a whole lot of chips in the middle on Kirk Cousins. So, I mean, it's just dangerous when you have one. I mean, quarterback position in general dominates the game, but... Kirk Cousins is not someone that I would put a lot of faith in. Yeah, and I don't think you, you're alone on that. Yeah. Um, so moving to a couple of teams who um, are 4-3, and three, Houston and L.A. Uh, the L.A. Rams I, are just getting throttled by two really quality teams in that NFC West, Seattle and uh, 40, the 49ers who are combined 11-2. and two. Uh, The Rams, as we mentioned, are 4-3. and three. Jared Goff has been inconsistent. That Rams defense has given up a bunch of points in a couple games here. So what do you think about them? They just traded Marcus Peters, um, and they are, I guess, trying to pivot. They lost three straight, but kind of righted the ship this week. 37-10 victory against the Falcons. Um, I don't know. Give me your opinion first. I'm, I'm a little wishy-washy on this one. So it's interesting, because if you look at their schedule, they they have the Bengals and Steelers coming up so they could feasibly be six and three they have the Bears after that and then the Ravens then they've got the Cardinals Seahawks Cowboys Niners which is a tough stretch and then they close out against the Cardinals so they're a team where if they win the games they're supposed to and then they kind of steal maybe one or two of these games maybe at home against Baltimore or at home against Seattle, this is a team that could easily be 11-5. and five. I, But I, I don't know if I trust them. Um, Jalen Ramsey, obviously, is coming back. They're undefeated with Jalen Ramsey, 1-0. <laughs> <and 0. laughs> but um, I, I don't know if I necessarily trust Jared Goff, and it just seems like a pretty classic sophomore slump. I, this Yeah, this is my problem with L.A. You, I really want to have faith in them. I really want them to do well. But Jared Goff holds me back in a similar way to Kirk Cousins. I just don't have faith that he's going to put it together for a whole season. And like you said, they've got their work cut out for them with that schedule. So I, I'm i leaning towards pretenders with them, not contenders. But I want to be wrong. I think in that division, I'm, I'm leaning pretenders too. Yeah. Uh, Houston, on the other hand, I'm actually really uh, optimistic about. They're currently a half game back on the Indianapolis Colts. Who I believe also have they've had a bye, so therefore they've only played six games. But the Texans, uh, looking forward, have games against the Raiders, the Jags, um, the Broncos, Titans, the Bucks, and the Titans again. So they've got a, a few gimmies, and they could easily get to eight wins or nine wins on those alone. Um, and they would only have to kind of pull out tougher victories against maybe the Ravens. Um, they've got a home game against the Patriots, which I think is going to be a really good game. Uh, but this is a team that I think could end up 10-6, and six, and that's probably all you really need to win uh, the AFC South this year. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't think either of us have a lot of faith in the Colts to stay at the top of that heap. So 
I mean, people keep saying good things about Jacoby Brissett. I'm, I sure like, yeah, I'm, right, I'm like not, if you say I'm, so, like, I'll, I, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, I, I'm kind of the same way. I don't. I if I had to pick a team to win that division right now, it would be the Texans. So, uh, and then what are your thoughts on Baltimore? They've now really pulled away. The next best team, in the AFC North, uh, the Browns and Steelers at two and four, and then the Bengals are winless. Yeah, they they're benefiting from a trashy division at this point. I still have a little bit of faith in the Browns. They've had a really rough schedule, so um, I would say that I wouldn't have them running away with it yet, even though they are. But it's not. It's I think it's less the uh, the quality of the teams and more the schedule at this point. So that should even out. Um, Check out these upcoming games for the Ravens, though: Patriots, Texans at the Rams, the 49ers on the road against Buffalo. The Jets, the Browns. Right, so this is, it's not that easy of a schedule. Right, that's forward. my point. So the Browns had a front have a front loaded schedule, and it sounds like the Ravens have a back loaded schedule. So I mean, it should even out, and I'd be curious to see how the Browns can do against bad teams. Yeah, um, but They'll, we'll see. They have at least one win because they play the Dolphins. But <laughs> so they, you might as well not even play that one. Yeah, they've got games against the Broncos, Steelers, Dolphins, Steelers again, Bengals. So they have two games against literal winless teams. Right. They play the Cardinals, and then they close out against the winless Bengals. So, yeah, they could easily come out and, you know, push. I, I think 9-7 and seven yeah. is kind of what, what they're looking at. They could win all of those remaining games. I mean, the Ravens won stuff, but other than that, they could win all those games. Yeah, so. I mean, they're well, they do play the Patriots and Bill, so I don't know about those. Okay, but not yeah. the Patriots. Yeah, you're, all you, the rest. you're looking at maybe like six more wins, right. six or seven more wins. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's certainly interesting. Speaking of the Bills, what are your thoughts on this Buffalo team? Again, not. It's just a team that's not really been there. They don't have a very reliable quarterback. I, I'm just hesitant to put my faith in them. You know, I'd much rather see a team like Houston with a quarterback that we know is is good. And so, yeah, I'm. I'm not. I don't know what their division is looking like at this point, but uh, I'm not a believer in the Bills yet. Yeah, I mean, the Bills are, I mean, they're basically being fueled by their defense, uh, which I, you know, it's not a bad thing, especially as it gets cold, yeah. weather gets worse, it's not a bad thing to be fueled by your uh, by your defense. I think it is uh, interesting whether or not they can catch the Patriots. They're only a half game back um, just because the Patriots haven't played. Um, but yeah, like this is a decent Bills team, um, they're gonna get some free wins. I think they play the Jets and Dolphins still, um, so they're gonna be well postured for the playoffs. And I, I think if the Patriots drop a couple, the Bills team might force them to be like, yeah, we just don't have the margin of error. Um, I think it's possible, uh, but I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm not all in on the Bills, but I think they're a quality team, and you know they've definitely put the entire league on notice. Yeah, I mean the Jets. I feel like the Jets are more dangerous than their record now because of Sam Darnold. So it's – I don't think they're as far away from the Jets as they – as their record indicates. Um, so I don't know. I They're in a good spot, like you said. I'm just still not – I feel like you need a – you need an established quarterback to be – to put to have my faith. You know what I mean? So – Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I guess Kyle Allen is – or Josh Allen just isn't doing it for you. No, I mean, nothing against Josh Allen, but he hasn't, I mean, this is a relatively new name and we're not really sure what he can do yet. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And then I guess the last kind of division race would be the uh, NFC West. Some quality, quality teams here. We mentioned the Rams at four and three, but the Niners and Seahawks have really been playing well. Um, The Niners are undefeated. The Seahawks 
um, two loss team. They're five and two. Uh, what are your thoughts on this division? Uh, I, this is a real tough one. I would lean towards the Seahawks. Um, but I mean, Jimmy G is really, you know, he's racking up wins like nobody's business. So, I mean, there's something to be said for that. And I, isn't he like 14 and two or something, something? It's something like, like since, that yeah, in starts coming into the league? I mean, it, you. I guess I would lean towards whoever has the better defense at that point because I think it might just come down to that. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm going to take the Niners and I'm going to take them because they average the second most rushing yards a game, 172. Right. And if you're a team that can play good defense and run the ball, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo is good enough that he yeah. will take this team far. Yeah. I mean, I like Russell Wilson, but I think that defense still has some questions. Um, offensively, they're good. Russell Wilson is going to take them far, but I just think that the 49ers have a more sustainable model. That's fair. Um, and then the MVP race, I think, is interesting. Christian McCaffrey uh, finally got some rest. Patrick Mahomes is also getting rest, but in kind of a bad way because he's hurt with a dislocated kneecap, which will somehow only keep him out for three games. Uh, Russell Wilson is in that conversation. Aaron Rodgers has kind of vaulted himself in that conversation along with Deshaun Watson. So who do you think is kind of the guy who's really pulling away from the pack? (laughs) I don't know how the league feels about a running back being MVP. But, I mean, I mean, we watched some some Christian McCaffrey games, and boy, is he electric. I mean, he can change the game more than, I think, some of these quarterbacks can, which is kind of incredible to say out loud. I mean, we kind of assumed it was going to be Mahomes, but he kind of started trailing off. Maybe that was because of the injury. Yeah. Um, but now he's out for a few weeks, so that's going to hurt him pretty hard. I mean, uh, yeah, and then Wilson, Rodgers, and Watson, I don't know if any of them I, – I, I don't know if I want any of them this year over McCaffrey. So – I'm leaning McCaffrey. Yeah, McCaffrey hasn't even played uh, seven games, but he's still third. Like, he's missed a game and is still third in rushing, which is pretty amazing. Um, The numbers I think we've all seen are incredible. Um, He's averaging um, over 100 yards rushing, um, tacking on, uh, you know, receiving yards. He's also doing a, a very underrated job as a pass blocker. Um, he's kind of a, a, a three-down back, and you know it's really valuable for a team that really just cannot rely on Cam Newton. Yeah. Um, obviously, they've had you know great backup help, surprisingly good backup help. But yeah, he's really done it all. And if you look at some of these other guys, I think Russell Wilson. He, I, he, I believe through his first pick of the year, yeah. uh, which is pretty remarkable. Russell Wilson is my guy as at number two. Um, I, I'm not too sure about Aaron Rodgers. I just want to see a little bit more from him. Uh, Deshaun Watson, Mahomes. I don't think they're in that same tier. Yeah. I would, so you got McCaffrey one, Wilson two. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. So the other thing about McCaffrey is that he's basically doing it all himself. And as a running back, you'd think, well, they're just going to stack the box and then. You know, well, they are stacking the, right. Yards, that's yeah. my point, and he's still racking up those yards. So that's, I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see how this one shakes out. I have a feeling it's going to be a quarterback. In yeah. which case, the NFL should strongly consider having just kind of a quarterback award and then like offensive player award. Which like I think, young. yeah, I think they have something like that. Maybe maybe it's just the SBs, but I don't know. Um they they're yeah, they need to switch models if because if it's just going to be a quarterback every year, there are a lot of really talented offensive players who are missing out on the recognition that I think they deserve. Right. So. If you're not going to give it to McCaffrey this year then 
then that like who's gonna be playing better than McCaffrey like so McCaffrey but yeah I mean (laughs) but yeah uh and then the last thing we'll cover is kind of the race to the bottom here there I I think there are four teams that are kind of in it for the tank for Tua um although I don't even know if Tua is who you're tanking for Jalen Hurts is playing really well you could also tank for Trevor but no matter who you're tanking for uh the four teams that you're gonna have to beat are the Miami Dolphins at 0-6, the Cincinnati Bengals at 0-7, the Redskins at 1-6, and, and the Falcons at 1-6. One, um, one, how what, – what does recovery look like for these teams? How far away are, the, are they? And also, what team is going to secure that number one pick, do you think? I think Miami will probably secure the pick um, because they look to be the team that – wants to lose the most. I mean, we saw that Redskins game where it looked like they didn't even want to convert that two-point conversion. So that would be my Fitz, pick. Fitzmagic I, is in now, though. I don't think that changes anything. I don't think it changes the mentality. Yeah. I think yeah. the mentality is still we want to lose. And, yeah, yeah. And, you know? So I, what does recovery look like for these teams? I um, It's tough. I guess the Redskins do have a decent team around they're, their they're, they're, they're trying to win. They right. just can't. <laughs> I don't know if they're really trying to tank. They just can't win. But they have no quarterback. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, the question is how valuable is a quarterback to these teams, right? Yeah. Because Atlanta has one, a good one. So they'd be drafting some, you know, maybe uh, a lineman or something. a defensive back or something, you know, something like that. Yeah, D lineman. So I don't think I've – ah, this is tough. Andy Dalton is about to get benched. So maybe Cincinnati – Andy Dalton's gone. Right. He's gone. Right. Yeah, like Andy Dalton is not the answer in Cincinnati. They know it. He knows it. He'll be a great backup somewhere. So, But, so, yeah, he's gone. So Cincinnati Miami will jef- definitely be drafting a quarterback. I don't know that the Redskins will draft a quarterback since they just got Dwayne Haskins. And the- feasibly, they still have Alex Smith coming back. I yeah, don't know yeah. if you know, that's for real or not, but, you know. I think at this point, Alex Smith is done. I don't think anyone's waiting for Alex Smith. Right, I don't think they are either, but I think it's still on the back burner. Yeah, yeah. So I would say that the Falcons probably have the the shortest journey to recovery, but I, none of them are good. It's it's like I don't know. I, well, I don't know. What do you think? In my opinion, I don't even know if it matters that much who gets the number one pick. To be honest, because I don't really think that Tua is that much better than you know either Trevor Lawrence or Jalen Hurts. Well, Trevor or, Lawrence can't come out this year. He's next year. Oh, okay. Yeah. My bad. My bad. So you have to. So you'd be tanking for two years to get Trevor. Well, I mean, some of these teams are pretty committed. So I, I, I mean, Miami seems like it feels <laughs> like they've been tanking for ten years. But there, I, I mean, my point is, I think no prospect is like it's not like Zion, right? Like where you're tanking for Zion. So yeah. obviously, I think there are a lot of solutions to a lot of these teams' problems, and you don't really even have to be in the top two. I think. Um, top three, like if you're Washington or Atlanta and you get either the number one or number two pick, I expect that to be traded. Yeah. You you trade down because like you said, Washington doesn't need a quarterback, neither does Atlanta. You can get the solution to your problem at like the number five or number six spot. Isn't there also a, I'm going to forget his name, but there's a quarterback out of Oregon, I want to say that's looking really good. Here. Yeah, Justin Herbert. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you got three solid quarterbacks coming out of them but none of them are you know blowing away the other two so if you're yeah like i agree if you're washington or if you're atlanta you're trading that you should 
they're not going to, but you should trade that pick down and get some more. I'm, I'm picks, a huge fan of trading picks down. You are a fan. You've, you've uh, brought out that advice several times. Because it's like, why, why have one like great pick when you can have two great picks? Well, but if you're Miami or Cincinnati, then you probably want to keep it and get your quarterback. Yeah, yeah. Because of all of the successful quarterback drafting these, these organizations have had. <laughs> and, okay, well, this, that brings us to a little bit of a different discussion that maybe we'll get into another time. But is, the question is, is it worth it to draft that quarterback that highly? You seem to think it's not. It depends on the quarterback. I don't. I, because I mean, you can't look into a crystal ball and determine which quarterbacks are going to be good, even if they're drafted number one. If you're Cincinnati or Miami and you have one of the top picks, you're. You're. I mean, if you like, you're drafting a quarterback. Right, but that, is it that worth is it? what you're doing. Is it still worth it though to use your strategy and trade down? It depends on who you're switching between. If you're switching between Tua and Jalen Hurts, right. Like that's not that bad of a yeah. switch. If because like here's the thing: what if you could switch and get, you could switch from Tua and you could get Jalen Hurts and a pretty solid offensive lineman. That's a pretty that's a pretty good switch. But what if you couldn't get one of those? What if you traded down too far and you couldn't get one of those three? Yeah, you so got it, like three picks. It, yeah, well, I mean that's part of the calculus that needs right. to be done, right? Like if you're switching. And you're getting instead of Tua, you're getting you know the Bryce second, Perkins, yeah, right, yeah. right? Like obviously that's not worth the trade, but you know I think trading down when you usually trade down, you're thinking you're still going to trade down into the top ten. I think that's kind of the idea, right? But there's something to be said though for just not even using your number one pick in football because you're not going to get like one player unless it's a real. I mean unless it's a quarterback, but like we said, you can't or Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, he's yeah, still yeah. a running back. He's, you know, so unless you can somehow predict who's going to be the next Aaron Rodgers, which you, which you can't, which you cannot, right? So then it's not even worth having that high pick. You'd rather have two slightly lower picks. Yeah. So yeah. there's something to be said for the fact that maybe you never should have that for, or you're, not I mean, never, you're, you're just it, with with more picks, you're able to hedge right a little bit more frequently, and it just. It's going to basically raise your floor, but also decrease your heat, uh, ceiling, right? So it's just kind of like, what type of team are you? Are you a team that wants to definitely be solid, or do you want a team be a team that's either terrible or fantastic? That's kind of the principle, that's right? That's the principle, yeah, but like, how many teams get that one player in that, in that spot, and they set their franchise forward? And they become a great team. I mean, it, the the question isn't how many teams do it. It's it's do is it possible? And if the answer is yes, every team thinks they're going to be the team. And if you look at like a lot of these teams, like you could argue that the Cleveland Browns have kind of turned it around with Baker Mayfield. You can argue that you know the Indianapolis Colts had their success with um, Andrew Luck. So there, there are a lot of teams that have drafted their way into you know a different type of you know era. You know the New York Giants are trying to do it right now with Daniel Jones. So you know it's interesting you know whether or not your team is going to be that team. There's enough precedent that every team thinks that they can be that team. But I guess what I'm asking is how many teams are that team? Because did did Andrew Luck really set the Colts back? Or set the Colts forward that much? Yeah, I mean that—that's the question. But there are at least like ten to 
13 teams that have a reasonable path forward with a quarterback they've drafted in the first round. Right, a reasonable path forward. But that's not – But I get, well, I guess what I'm trying to get at is you want that valuable pick, that one, that first overall, maybe second overall pick – to be an all generate like an all star for multiple years, and you know you're in the you're automatically in the running for a Super Bowl. That's the kind of player you want at that first pick. But like, there there is no player that can do that exactly. on e- on either side of the ball. But there are a case, you get like an Aaron Rodgers, yeah, who yeah, has done that. So, but you no one has, has been able to really choose that player. Like oh, we're right, gonna right, identify right. that. No, guy. no, no. I mean, I, I'm with you. I'm saying hedge your bets. You know, get two solid guys. But, but the point I'm kind of trying to drive home here is that the, every team thinks that they can be the team that hits a home run, and right, and they're no always one... going to swing. They're always going to swing because I mean, it it sends a message to the fan base. It, it excites the fan base, and everyone wants like no one. If you're ballsy enough to buy a football team. You're probably not playing it safe in this regard. I mean, yeah, you're playing. It's a risk reward type of thing, but I feel like the reward is so. It's like winning the lottery. I mean, yeah. the, the reward is so unlikely that you're not even like paying the five dollars to buy the lottery ticket isn't worth it. Yeah, I mean, we might have to revisit this, yeah. <laughs> this uh, in a little bit, but yeah, I, I think draft strategy is interesting, yeah. and yeah, the owner is going to play a really big part of that. Obviously, a Jerry Jones type is going to be yeah. very different than a different owner, but I think generally we've seen moderate success with drafting quarterbacks, and we've also seen some home runs, and I think the home runs is kind of what drives a lot of the draft strategy. Um, but we'll we'll take a break, and we'll move on to uh, the MLB World Series, uh, which starts tomorrow. Yes. All right, the Houston Astros take on the Washington Nationals in this year's World Series, the Fall Classic. Uh, game one will be tomorrow. It'll be Garrett Cole on the mound against Max Scherzer. Um, we'll start with just kind of the Vegas line. The Astros are the largest favorite since 2007 when the Boston Red Sox were this favorite and, by the way, swept the Colorado Rockies. So I don't know how great of a precedent that is for Nats fans, but... Um, are the Astros that much of a favorite? Should they be that much of a favorite? Um, what are, What's kind of the breakdown for you? Well, I think we would agree that they're probably the better overall team. They are absolutely the better overall right. team. Yeah. The question is how much does the hot streak matter? Because if you're the Nats, you've won like five games in a row. Yeah, so, and the, na- mean, the Nationals are undefeated ever in games past the NLDS. <laughs> and right. they've, they've won four in a row. Absolutely, right. absolutely. So... I mean, the flip side is, does the rest... Oh, okay, the, then you have the classic rest versus, you know, whatever the other... The opposite of rest is. Rested versus tested, rested, I believe. Thank yeah. you, yes. Rested versus tested. I mean, then you get into that debate. In my opinion, you want the rest, especially for your stud pitchers. So, I I, I would agree that they're, that they're the favorite. I would not have had them that highly of a favorite, though. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting because this is going to be... It's going to be one of those situations for Davey Martinez where it's like, if it works, great decision. If not, it's a bad decision, right? If you look at the pitchers for the Houston Astros, you get Cole first, then Verlander. Those are the two guys that you're really scared about, and then Granky in game three. So you 
basically have the option because Garrett Cole hasn't lost since like late May. He's won his last 19 decisions. He's averaging close to two strikeouts per inning, which is supremely good. He's not quite there, but he he's getting he's dangerously close. And I think that you could just kind of burn a guy against uh, against Garrett Cole. So just burn just, Sanchez? Yeah, you just burn Sanchez. And and here's my thing. Because if you get the Anibal Sanchez, who almost pitched a no-hitter, then great. You're you're in the you conversation. You know, you're, you're toe-to-toe with Garrett Cole. If you don't, who cares? Because you probably would have lost that game anyways. And now it's going to be Max Scherzer against Justin Verlander, Steven Strasburg against Zach Granke. And then you're going to have a rested Patrick Corbin in Game 4 against whoever they throw, whether it be Garrett Cole on short rest or a bullpen game like they did in against the, the Yankees in Game 6. It's not a bad idea, though. My issue would be, well, if, you, if you're going to burn a pitcher, why would it not be Scherzer? Because theoretically, you'd have a, a better... Because you mentioned that you know if you get Sanchez who threw the no-hitter or, you know, seven innings of a no-hitter, then you're still in the game anyway. You're more likely to get that that performance with Scherzer than you are with Sanchez. Right, right. But the the, the thing that you want to avoid, and this is just, again, one strategy, yeah. right? The, the idea is that the thing you want to avoid is Max Scherzer throwing, like, a one-run gem and then Garrett Cole throwing, you know, a, 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 a shutout. Because at that point you've pretty much wasted Max Scherzer, so it's kind of like who do you who would you rather waste, Anibal or Max? Well, you you seem to think that there's no way that they're gonna win it even with Scherzer, even if either probabilistically probabilistically there's no shot. There's no shot. Has for Garrett them. Cole ever played in the World Series? He has not, but he has played in the playoffs where he has been continued to be supremely good. It's different. I I would be very wary of. See, but here's the okay. Here's here's the real argument, right? What if Garrett Cole? Thro- what if Garrett Cole lays an egg, right? What if he goes out there and lays an egg, and then you have Sanchez on the mound who also lays an egg, <laughs> and lose. So then you wasted a, a game. Then you know it's still. But, but if if Sanchez were to lay an egg, he probably would have lost that game down the line somewhere, right? So that's the thing. You waste you waste Sanchez in game one. And now you have an advantage for the rest of the series. I'm, I'm not saying, listen, I'm not really even sure if I believe in this idea. <laughs> I'm just saying that, like, this is the type of situation that Davey Martinez is facing. And again, it's one of those situations where it's like, whatever you do, people are going to think it's a great idea if it works. Like, if, if you go with this kind of absurd plan that I just laid out, and let's say Sanchez has a really bad first game, and then the Nationals steamroll in game two, three, four, five then everyone's going to be like, Davey Martinez is the greatest manager of all time, <laughs> right? Like, it's it's one of those situations where it, it there's so much uncertainty and there's so many good pitchers with such a small margin for error that, you know, you could do so many things and have so many different results. I Yeah. The other issue is that there's no guarantee Strasburg's going to beat Verlander and no guarantee that you know, or okay, Verlander is not too much worse than Scherzer or Strasburg, and same thing with Granky. Yeah. So yeah. it's 
feasible that if you went with your strategy and we throw basically throw game one, that we'll be down three nothing before we can blink. And then by the time your plan has an ability to pay off, we've lost. You know what? You know what? I take it back. Throw Eric Fetty in game one. <laughs> Who cares? Throw Eric Fetty in game one. Brian Dozier, he's pitched before. You want to just do it? Because listen, here here are the stats on Garrett Cole, and this is what I wanted to uh, kind of point out. Since May twenty seventh, and this doesn't count the most recent game, just because it hasn't got factored into the statistics yet, but. Since May 27th, he's 18 and 0 with a 1.66 ERA. He's giving up a 166 batting average. He has 251 strikeouts in 162 innings. So he's a 166 ERA. Is that what you're telling me? Here's the yeah. number I heard. He's got a 166 ERA. Well, what does that mean? That means in seven innings, he would probably get a run. Sure, but but so if, but the there's, there's becomes, no one on the Nationals who even comes close to that. No, no one there is, is. It's Scherzer. You don't think Scherzer could go out there and hold them to one run? So so here's the thing. I think that he still probably does worse than Garrett Cole. And if he's going to do worse than Garrett Cole, we might as well do significantly worse right. and save Scherzer. That's 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 my that's my last kind of <laughs> ditch defense of this no, no, i understand your premise and that's basically that you have no faith that we're gonna win game one no matter who we throw so you might as well not use scherzer i get that but it seems to me that you have no faith in scherzer I, I think you still have a chance with scherzer versus cole i don't have sure faith in scherzer to beat garrett cole i do okay well i mean listen it's going to be scherzer on the mound yes. so we'll we'll get to see it <laughs> it's going to be scherzer in game one strasburg in game two and then game three four do you go Corbin Sanchez or Sanchez Corbin? Because Sanchez has been the better pitcher in the postseason. I don't think it matters. It doesn't matter. I don't at think all. it matters because Granky is better than you could argue Granky is worse than Corbin, but better than Sanchez. Well, it it doesn't matter in Game Four, but it will in Game a potential right. Game seven. So you're basically saying, well, you're basically splitting those games anyway. Essentially, if you if you're going only based on quality of pitcher, which is you know a flawed assumption, but whatever. Well, it's it's who would you rather have in Game Seven? Because if you have if well, you no. throw Sanchez in Game Four, he'll be ready by Game Seven. He'll Zach's be, the back says in the bullpen. Yeah, but but if you throw Corbin in Game Four, he'll be the one who's ready. So you're kind of right. Like in Game Four, it probably doesn't matter. Game Four, Game Five, right? Like it, they're pretty similar. But it's like who would you rather turn to? late in the series to having, have rest. All right, well, then that's a good point. Then that means Sanchez should pitch four and he'll be ready for seven. So you like Sanchez First, over Corbin? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Cor- whoever Corbin should pitch the earlier game. In this case, it's three. Yes. Yeah, yes. so he would be ready for game seven. Okay, all right. So, you, so, so you like Corbin over yeah. Sanchez? Yeah, Okay. I personally like Sanchez over Corbin. But you just said, you brought up a very good point, but now you're abandoning it, abandoning it that now that means Sanchez will be the one that's ready in game seven, not Corbin. Yeah, I prefer to have Sanchez. You prefer to have Sanchez coming out of the bullpen than Corbin. Yes, yes. All right, that's interesting. Uh, Sanchez just had, what, like an eight-inning no-hitter? Yes, but does that – that's not that's an outlier. That's not a – that's not the – Well, it's it's not a he, – here's – so, so far in the playoffs, he had one run in five innings against the Dodgers and then a no-hit bid, I believe, eight and two-thirds yes. against the Cardinals. Seven and two-thirds. Okay, so almost eight innings against a no-hitter pitching against the Cardinals. Whereas Patrick Corbin 
has basic he basically blew an entire game for the Nationals by giving up like 150 runs or whatever against the Dodgers. So he has been shaky. He has even when he came out of the bullpen in the most recent game in that game where the Nats just kind of, you know, scored what was it, seven runs in the first inning, he didn't play that well when he came back. So I'm not like I'm not too sold on Patrick Corbin being a guy. Who's it comes down to this? Well, it comes down to this for me. Which would you say is the better pitcher? Period. Don't no no uh, contingencies. Who's the better pitcher? I w- I, I mean I think pa- uh, Anibal Sanchez. What? Wait, what? <laughs> is no, the better no, pi- is the better no. pitcher. I, I think it's it's slept on. Anibal Sanchez had a two eight four ERA last year, which was actually better than Patrick Corbin's. Right. I'm not saying Cor. I mean, I'm not saying Sanchez is a bad pitcher by any means. I'm saying Corbin is the better pitcher. Well, uh, in my opinion, this is my. I guess this is just my opinion. Maybe you have a different opinion, but my opinion is Corbin's the better pitcher, and you ride with your good, pit- your better players. Yeah, I mean, I th- that's probably what they're going to end up doing. Yeah, and I would agree with that. Even yeah. it may come back to bite them. It may very it, it well might, come might. back to bite them. But I would rather go down playing that strategy than bet on Sanchez and him blow it. I, I I mean I suppose I I'm personally a Sanchez fan, and I cannot wait for him to no hit the. Uh, <laughs> The Astros in Game 4. Um, but I think this kind of brings up a larger issue because if you look at the payroll, it's $78 million being paid to the top three pitchers for the Nationals, something like $74 million. Uh, on the Astros, do you think that pitching wins championships? Well, the, it's like hard to say that you can't make a claim that pitching is the only thing you need to win championships. Is it the thing that you should allocate that you should prioritize allocation to to yes. win a championship. Yes, just like a quarterback in football. Because here, here's my here's my counter to that, and I, I generally agree. Yeah. But if you look at the teams, the Astros have really great pitching, but they also benefit from having Springer, Altuve, you know, and all of these guys, Bregman, and the Nationals benefit from having Juan Soto, and they have Trey Turner, you know, and a, a lot of these guys, Rendon who offensively are stalwarts. So it kind of seems like it's one of those things where both of these teams are just spending a lot of money in general or have really high-value guys on cheap contracts. And I'm not sure if allocating pitching is necessarily, like in the way that these teams are doing, is necessarily objectively the best way to do it. I think it's I think it's a very strong parallel to football in that you have to spend your money on the quarterback, quarterback because there's just not enough of them. There's but, not enough good quarterbacks. There's not 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL. You know what yeah. I mean? So you have to do the same thing with pitching. You have to spend your money to get the pitchers, the best pitchers, because there are only a limited amount of them. And then you have to get value at the, your other positions. Yeah, I mean, I, I can get behind that. Yeah. I mean, l- listen, I, I was trying to make a little counter-argument, yeah, but yeah. I think overall, like, pitching is definitely really crucial. I think that it's interesting that the Nationals have made it this far with one of the NL's right, worst one of the bullpens. bullpens. But, yeah, I mean, part of it is because they paid three guys who can basically take you into the seventh, and then they also have a very cheap but talented pitcher in Anibal Sanchez <laughs> who has the talent to pitch eight innings of no-hit <laughs> baseball. And basically, they've been able to minimize the amount of bullpen work that they've needed 
either by having you know their starters pitch through or by literally just using their starters as the bullpen. Yeah. So I, I get yeah. I mean they basically just paid three guys to be workhorses and they've been they've kind of panned out. Yeah, and I think it's a similar story with the Astros. I don't know a lot about their bullpen, but I imagine they have a similar situation. Their bullpen is actually pretty good. All their right. bullpen in a game against the Yankees, I believe, only gave two earned runs in seven innings, which is not bad, right, especially for a bullpen. All right, take it back. Good for the Astros. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll, we'll kind of, I guess, lean into players to watch then um, before we make our picks. Uh, who are your guys to watch on either the Astros or the Nationals? Max Scherzer. <laughs> I just, he's so competitive all the time. I, he's never been in the World Series, has he? I mean, I, he has. He has. He with, has. The, with the Detroit Tigers. Did he win? Uh, no, he okay. did not. Well, I I never saw the Detroit or Detroit Tigers in the World Series, so I don't know how his kind of mannerisms go that go when they're in such an important game. But I would my player to watch is Max Scherzer because he tends to show up for that kind of for these kind of big games. So yeah. that's kind of goes back to my point again about the Cole Scherzer thing. I have faith in Scherzer to show up for this game. Yeah. Um, by the way, so. Uh, Max Scherzer in that game, uh, World Series game with the Tigers, gave up three earned runs in six and a third innings, eight strikeouts, and uh, he got a no decision as the Tigers lost. All right, so not stellar. Yeah. Average. One, one sample size. Right. So another fun fact is that Max Scherzer, Anibal Sanchez, and Justin Verlander were all on the Tigers at the same time. Yes. Pretty pretty lethal. Um <laughs> But yeah, I, I, I completely agree on your take for uh, players to watch. Do you have anyone else, um, you know, position players that I think you're watching uh, in terms of guys who can be able to get on base and keep the line moving? Well, we know that the – I mean, you and I both know that the Nationals' offense rides with Trey Turner. If Trey Turner gets on base, they're going to score a lot, a lot of runs. And if he doesn't, it's more of a struggle. So it's usually a question of whether or not he gets on base, and if he does, you know – then it'll be fun to watch. But if not, it may not be so much fun. So I would go with him. Is Howie Kendrick a guy for you to watch? <laughs> uh, for me, he's a guy to watch uh, Watch the ball go through his legs. He's a he's a fielding liability, but offensively, he is a monster. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how Davey Martinez kind of plays that because you just can't make errors against the Astros the same way maybe you can against the Cardinals or the Dodgers would you because they'll him? make you pay. Would you play him in a DH role? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no better role <laughs> suited for Howie Kendrick. He can bat, but he never needs to set foot on the field <laughs> defensively. Because that way you get you allow second base to be played by a switch hitter in his Drupal Cabrera. You also have the opportunity for a great fielder in Brian Dozier. You have Zimmerman at first, Rendon at third, Turner at, uh, at short for a really good defensive infield. Um, but I, we'll see how Davey Martinez plays it. I think the Astros are pretty much set in their lineup. I don't think there's going to be that much of a change. Defensively, they're a, a decent team. Um, I think in the outfield, they've got guys who can make plays. Uh, they've got guys in the infield who can make plays. They're probably the most complete team we've seen in a long time. And, and that's reflected in, the, um, in, in basically the odds that we see in Vegas. Yep, I would agree with that. Um, overall, your picks, who do you have, how many games, um, and what do you think is going to be kind of the deciding factor? Um, I have to be objective, <laughs> unfortunately, and I will say uh, Stroh's in seven. Um, 
And I think it's going to come down to the relievers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. Yeah. I think it's going to come down to the bullpen. I've got Astros in five. Whoa. They're, they're, this is, Whoa. This is no the team. I'm a huge Nationals fan. I love the Nationals. We'll be back. But this is probably one of the best teams we'll see in a long time. And Garrett Cole is probably one of the best... This is probably one of the most dominant stretches of pitching of all time. I think this is an interesting stat I saw is that the weighted runs created from the uh, Houston Astros have it's the only team to have done a better job in terms of uh, the weighted runs created stats are the Yankees of 1924. (laughs) You know who was on that team? Sounds like Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth. (laughs) Literally Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth, and I believe it was Joe DiMaggio who was on that team as well. But it's just like, uh, this is a historically good team. And yeah, it was the 27 uh, Yankees. It was not DiMaggio. It was Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. Yes. The 1927 Yankees. And that was the last team to have an offense with weighted runs created as good as the Houston Astros. That The 27 Yankees is the team that is... The gold standard, isn't it? It's you're they're, always compared to good. the 27 Yankees. They're quite good. Yes, okay. Babe Ruth is solid. Lou Gehrig had some hits now and then, so <laughs> just a yeah, few. A good, a good team. But I mean, best of luck to the Nationals. Best of luck to the Yankees. I I probably won't be to any any of these games. I'm priced out by the yeah. <laughs> the noble elite of Washington. But you want to reveal what that what those standing room only prices were? Yeah, I believe it's seven hundred and seventy five dollars for yeah. standing room. At which point you might as well just shell out and right. get a ticket for eight fifty. But yeah, I mean it's quite expensive. I think, you know, the bullpen, which is the Nationals kind of bar area right outside of the uh yeah. stadium will be packed and you know, there are a lot of a lot of fans that I haven't seen um <laughs> I haven't seen around or suddenly uh, yes, yes. they're they're out and about in DC. It's quite it's quite unusual. Well, but, what do you know? <laughs> yeah, but uh hopefully everyone has a good time and uh best of luck to the Nationals and the Astros. Um game one is tomorrow at 8.08 p.m. first pitch. Um, so we'll probably have coverage probably next week. Um, just see, check in on that. The w, uh, the NBA starts tomorrow as well. So we'll have coverage on that moving forward. Um, and then whatever else just kind of pops up in the world of sports. 